listening to The Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. To participate in the show, go to my website, ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W dot com. Click on the contact link and submit your question or comment there. I'll use it as part of the show. The other way to do it is to call or text 757-774-8482. Leave your voicemail there and I'll use that as part of the show. And now, the Fret Files Podcast. Yes, indeed. Welcome to the Fret Files Podcast. My name is Eric Daw, your guitar engineer. With over 20 years of experience building and repairing guitars, this is a podcast about guitars. Guitar repair, guitar building, guitar news, guitar science, guitar opinions, guitar interviews. With me this evening is my lovely wife and co-host, Melissa. Every week we take your questions, I read them, and Eric tries to answer them. That's right. I've got a lot of fun things in the shop right now that I'm working on. A crazy Martin, a 70s Martin 12-string that somebody did a a strange conversion to a 6-string on. Really? Yeah, they cut the headstock off and did a scarf joint and put on a new headstock, a a 6-string headstock, right? That doesn't sound good. Well, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. The problem with it is that that scarf joint failed and the headstock came off. Oh. And so now I'm charged with the the envious task of uh, putting the, the headstock back on that thing. So are you, are you going to leave it as, as a six-string then? Yeah. You're going to have to. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, I'm going to use the same headstock that was there. Right. Problem is, whoever did this um, conversion used tight bond. Oh, and dear. so yeah, which is a fine glue, but if you've listened to the podcast, you know. Now that it's broken, um, I've got to clean up all that old tight bond before I can do a hide glue joint because uh, nothing will stick to that tight bond. Right. If I use tight bond, it won't work. If I use hide glue, it won't work. So I have to clean up all the old tight bond. And it's a it's not a clean break, and, I assume. Uh it's eh, it's a puzzle. It's a puzzle. It's not a it's not a clean break. It'll be interesting. I've taken some before pictures. Cool. And uh I will take after pictures, but right now it's it's during. <laughs> we'll take some we're, during pictures. We're too. neither before nor after at this phase. Right now it's it's uh in the midst. Yeah, it's actually in the clamps. Oh, well, you should take pictures of that, too. Yeah. Yeah, I cleaned up all the old glue, and it's going to take some creative work, too, because there's enough wood missing that uh, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to put in some, I'm going to have to splice in some new uh, pieces there. Wow. Yeah. Is there anything else that needs to be done to it once it's got its head back on? Oh, just your average, it needs a saddle and a couple other minor things. Oh, okay. No big deal. I've got a 30s. Here's another fun thing I'm working on. A 30s Kalamazoo made by Gibson. Right. But uh it is it doesn't say Gibson on the headstock. It doesn't say Kalamazoo on the headstock. It says Carson J. Robison. Yeah. Why, why does it say that? Was, well, he was some kind of guitar guru in the 30s and oh. so he had um he commissioned Gibson to make a bunch of these with his name on it. Wow. And they were sold, or at least this one was, sold through Ward's department store. Wow, that's yeah. interesting. On the inside, it's got a Ward's sticker, which is really cool. I'll have to show you when you're out in the shop. So it must be kind of a rare guitar then. Uh, yeah, it is. It's not um, a super expensive rare guitar, but it's right. kind of an, it's an oddity. It's worth probably, I would say it's worth more than your average Kalamazoo, but I don't know. Hmm. To, Nobody knows who Carson J. Robison is anymore. Nobody cares. But the fact is, it's a really sweet little guitar. Cool. Yeah, I like those kind of, uh, I don't know, the, the Kalamazoo's are cool because 
they didn't make an exact um, Gibson like it. It's kind of its own design. It's kind of its own thing. Cool. Yeah, they're cool guitars. I like them a lot. What else am I working on in the shop? I don't know. These are just some of the... uh, I don't know. I just thought I'd tell you guys what I'm working on. Cool. Uh... So we've got a lot of good questions to get to. I think we have three phone calls. Wow. Which is some kind of record. Yeah. Should we uh, should we take those phone calls? Let's do it. Yeah. Um, if you want to participate in the show, uh, I would really highly recommend you do so because we need questions so we can do these shows. These question and answer shows are actually my favorite. I hope everybody's been enjoying the interviews, but I, uh, I got to tell you, I'm not sure how many more I'm going to do. <laughs> It's the question and answer I like. Well. Interviews are, they're hard to schedule. They're hard to do because there's a delay. Because I have to do them through either Skype or Google Hangouts. And uh, there's such a bad delay that it's, I don't know if, if, yeah, anyway, I won't get into it. If anybody has any solutions for over the internet interviewing techniques, let us know. Tell somebody else. Uh, let's take some questions. Oh, oh, by the way, yeah, here's, here's what I was going to say. To participate in the show, you go to my website, ericdaw.com, E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com. Click the contact link and do it there. You've heard the spiel a thousand times. You don't need to hear the phone number, which is 757-774-8482, color text, anytime, night or day. Hi, Eric and Melissa. It's Steve and Ballard. We all miss you here in Seattle. Eric, I want to thank you for the refret you did on my 1965 Jag. You did an amazing job. Thanks so much. I have a question for you regarding the vintage instrument market. Given the huge value pre-CDS Fenders and older Gibsons can command, and coupled with the sophistication of the various restoration and relicking services out there, I'm wondering what your experience has been over the years with fake vintage instruments. In other words, instruments that were sold as vintage but are not what the user believed they were. Have you seen many fakes in your career where the customer believed it was authentic but it was not? And finally, when that happens, do you feel a sort of moral obligation as a guitar scientist to share with a customer that their guitar may not be what they thought it is? Or do you only tell them if they ask you? I'll hang up and take my answer off the air. Thanks, Eric. Thanks, Melissa. Thank you, Steve. I appreciate it. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I refretted his guitar. Cool. He's happy with that. Nice. That's always good to hear. Um, he wants to know if I see a lot of fakes. And, uh, yeah, I, I have. I've seen a lot of fakes. Uh, mostly Fender fakes, because Fenders are easier to fake because they're kind of... Uh, modular. Yeah, modular is a good word for it, yeah. Um, not as many as you'd think, but I definitely have seen quite a few and it's not always, um, yeah, I think sometimes people get a guitar that they, they really do believe is, is authentic, you know, and they're not trying to, uh, fool anyone, but they got it from someone who was trying to fool them. Right. So they've been fooled and, and, uh, I, 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 I rarely, you know, you don't ever catch someone red-handed with a fake that they're trying to pass off. At least that's never happened to me. But, um, I don't know. Either that or the people that I've told they have fakes are really good actors. And really good at relicking. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But, uh, to answer your second question, um, I do feel obligated to tell people when I see them in the wild or in in my shop or wherever, because if I don't, you know, I've kind of, I've kind of put myself out there as a, as a vintage expert, a vintage guitar expert. So, um, especially when I worked at Emerald City Guitars, people would bring in their guitars sometimes to show them off, or they would just bring in a guitar for a setup, Right. And they would bring it in, and, and it's I know that it's a fake. I yeah. can tell by looking at it. And uh, I just always, you know, politely 
in the conversation, you know. <laughs> That's uh, just because I you never yeah. know. Maybe they know. They already probably know it's a fake, and most times they do. They're like, "Oh yeah, it's just a replica," you know. But sometimes right. it's like, "Hey man, I got this '58 Strat on eBay, and I want you to set it up." Man. And I have to say, um, you've been had. Yeah, you, you know that that's not a real one, right? Because if I don't say something, then it's possible that they might, you know, start showing it around to other people and say, well, I showed this to Eric Daw, and he's supposedly an expert, and he didn't say anything about it being fake. Right. So I'm kind of obligated. I kind of have to say something. Have you ever had any really crazy reactions from people? You know, there are... um, some of the oldest fakes you see are Vietnamese made. Uh-huh. During the Vietnam War, some there were some Vietnamese craftsmen who were making vintage. I mean, they weren't vintage at the time. They were just making knockoff fenders. Right. In Vietnam. But they would said fender on the headstock. They and they were actually they were actually pretty decent um uh pretty decent job but uh you know they're not going to fool uh any kind of an an expert but um i had a guy who was in vietnam and in the vietnam war he went over there he bought this guitar while he was there thinking it was a real fender they would sell them i don't know where in some markets you know street market in vietnam like, oh wow a fender you know yeah so these servicemen would buy these fenders and uh Apparently, they weren't told that they were fake, or at least some of them weren't. I don't know. Right. Anyway, I had this one guy. So he'd have it, had it he'd for had it years. He'd had it since the 70s, right. thinking it was a real Fender. Like, oh. yeah, I brought this home from the war. And I, he brought it in to get it authenticated. I mean, he was specifically oh, asking no. me, you know, what's this worth? And yeah. I want to get it authenticated. I want to get some paperwork on it. And uh, I had to tell him, you know, I'm sorry to tell you this, but it's not real. It's a... It's a Vietnamese copy right. that they sold, you know, to servicemen. And he was really upset about it, didn't say much. But later, his brother came back. Oh, no. And said, why did you tell him that? You broke his heart. Oh, no. I know. And I'm like, well, I'm sorry that that broke his heart. But I, it's kind of my job to tell him the truth. Right. I'm, I'm not going to lie to him and say, hey, this is a great guitar, man, and it's worth you know, $30,000. Right. You can't. Oh, that makes me sad. Well, I'm sorry I broke your heart there. <laughs> Should we take another service, call? Service man Joe. I don't remember his name. Anyway, that was an unusual reaction. I broke his heart, apparently. Oh. Like, it's my fault that the guitar's fake. Like, I broke his heart. Well. Well? Well? Did you at least break it to him nicely? I was as nice as I always am. So not very. Hey, come on. Let's take the <laughs> let's take the next call. Yes, uh, hi Eric and Melissa. Uh, my name is Frank outside of uh, Philly, PA. Uh, just a comment on the Mark Arnquist podcast. I just wanted to say that was uh, excellent interview. Uh, Mark, his memory is quite impressive, and uh, I really enjoyed it. Just wanted to say that. On a side note, I would just say that you as the interviewer, that was a little bit difficult, in my opinion, because uh, it was hard for you to get any uh, questions or comments in, but uh, I guess that's just the way Mark's personality is. But it would be interesting to get a second uh, part of that. And also, uh, being as I see on your website now, you have the... uh, the annual uh, Halloween Horror Stories uh, podcast uh, up. Uh, definitely going to give that a listen, but I just thought to myself, well, wait a minute. If you're having trouble getting stories, my idea is to, uh, as you're interviewing these people throughout the year, uh, get a few horror stories from them, because I'm sure they have plenty, and just save those horror stories for the annual Horror Stories podcast. Yeah, just an idea I had. Maybe you might want to consider it. Anyway, thanks again. I enjoyed the last episode, and uh, 
Hello from southeastern Pennsylvania. You're living in your own private Idaho. Take care now. Thank you, Frank. Thanks for the question and the comments there. Yeah, you know, I'm glad that you somebody noticed, probably everybody, it's painfully obvious, noticed that uh, it was hard for me to do the last few interviews. Yeah. I don't know if, if it's their personalities as much as it was the the delay. I'm interviewing these, I don't want to say how old they are, I don't want to guess, but older than me, uh, guys that don't have Skype, and Skype is a little bit better uh, as, as far as the, the latency goes. Right. I had to do it through Google Voice, through their cell phone. Oh. And there's there's an inherent delay in the cell phone anyway, and then it has to go through some kind of internet, God knows what, so relay system. It's like a three-second delay. Probably at least. And so wow. it might be their personalities, but it's also... Actually, it is some somewhat their person. I know, I know, Mark, and that's kind of his personality. But uh, it was also mostly it was the delay. It was very difficult to, uh, you know, I, that. I'll just level with you, just to be honest with you. That the Mark Arnquist e- episode was was pretty heavily edited. Aww. I had to edit out well because we kept talking over each other. I kept trying to ask him questions, and he wasn't hearing me. Right, and so we're both talking at the same time, and I just edited all of that out. So, um, but it it worked great, and yeah. it's it a, a great interview. interview. Yeah. Mark's a fascinating guy. He's a great guy. Uh, and uh, your other suggestion, as far as getting horror stories, when I do these these interviews, it's I've thought of that before, and thanks for mentioning that. I think that that's a good idea, and I should do that. The few times that I've tried, I've ran into problems um, where one one guy explained to me, you know, he doesn't want to be associated with a horror story, like right. You know, I'm a, I do professional repairs. I'm not going to tell you. You know, yeah, I have some horror stories, but I don't want it to sound like right. bring your guitar to me for a horror story. Right. Yeah, but, that, I guess... you know, the, the, I guess you can have that opinion, but I'm just trying to get, you know, I mean, just tell me about the worst repair that you've ever had to do and how what a good job you did. You right. Know, it doesn't have to be that you messed something up. Right. In fact, hopefully it's not that you messed something up. Anyway, I've had a few guys tell me that, actually, that they... Like, oh, I don't really want to, you know, <laughs> yeah. well, it's participate worth asking, in that. Though. It is worth asking. but then it's a fun thing to do. Then it's more editing for me, and I have to save the... I'll, I'll, what are it's you, a good lazy? suggestion. Yes, it's a good suggestion, <laughs> Frank, and it, it has crossed my mind before, and I should do that, because, uh, yeah, we were a little low on horror stories this year. I had to actually uh, solicit a few to get it going, so... <laughs> Uh, that was that all he asked? I think that I think was so. it, right? Yep. Yeah. Frank, thank you, sir, and thanks for listening. Hello, this is Joe from Virginia, just calling in to the podcast. Love the show. Thank you for all your information. You two do a great job. I have two questions, please. First one is, I have a standard guitar that's tuned to the standard e-tuning. And I wanted it to drop the tuning to drop C. I was wondering what all setup would I need to do to do that. And also, I have a guitar where the low string will not intonate, and I have it dialed back as much as I can go. Now the guitar is set up, the next, you know, straight, um, and all that, but I don't know what else to do. So anyway, I would appreciate any help. Thanks. Bye. Right on. Thank you for the question. Uh, on your last question, since it's fresh in my mind, your your low string that won't intonate, a few things come to mind. The first thing, and this is just a simple thing that I'm sure you've tried, but the first thing I always try is a fresh string. I'm sure you've tried it, so I won't even mention it, but... um. Fresh strings, uh, really, you know, a string can go bad. Right. And it won't intonate properly anymore. So uh, beyond that, the other thing that comes to mind is uh, your pickups, if they're too close, will really mess with the intonation specifically on the low string. So 
see if your pickups are sitting too close to the strings. The magnet will actually interfere with the string, the way the string vibrates and create weird artificial out-of-tune overtones, and uh, that could be a possibility. Well, how close is too close? Well, it depends on the pickup, and uh, it depends on your guitar. What I do is, because I like my pickups close, right? and it's especially, it's usually the neck pickup because string is traveling more over right. over the neck pickup but uh, what i typically do is raise the pickup until i hear it interfering and then dial it back until mm-hmm. it disappears so that i know that it's just as close as i can get it without it interfering yeah. yeah and i don't mean interfering like mechanically like hitting i just mean the magnet interferes with the way it vibrates so you'll hear it in the you, sound. oh yeah it yeah. it gives you this weird sour overtone but it's usually only when you're playing really high up on the neck on that low string, like up beyond the 12th fret. Mm. Yeah. The other possibility is, uh, you know, you mentioned you mess around with low tunings. Are you using a really low tuning on that guitar without using heavy strings? Because that'll do it. You want to make sure you're using heavier strings if you're going all the way to drop C, like you've mentioned. So is your string gauge accurate, you know, for your tuning? The other thing that can, uh, uh, the other thing that I suspect is the nut. If the nut is not cut properly and you have to push the string too hard, like if the nut slot is sitting a little bit higher than it should be, then that can cause intonation problems. So all of these things can cause intonation problems. Um, if the guitar has really big frets and you're just pushing too hard, that's really, that's something that happens. I see that occasionally. So that's just some ideas. It's hard for me to say without seeing your guitar, but maybe that gives you somewhere to, a few things to investigate. Yeah. Cool. What What else did he say? Uh, tuning and intonation. Did I? Did I? Oh, uh, he's got a guitar that um, he wanted to put into drop C, and he wondered what setup considerations there were when you do that. And like I mentioned, you want to use a heavier string because uh, just a standard set of, like, I'm assuming you're talking about an electric guitar with probably 10 gauge, you know, 10 through 46, 10 through 46 strings. And uh, if you tune that down to drop C, those strings are just going to be flopping in the breeze. Right. They're going to be too loose. So you want to use heavier strings. You probably already know this. Uh, you want to make sure you use heavier strings and, uh, you'll need to basically reset up the whole guitar. The neck is going to be pulled on differently. You'll have to adjust the truss rod. The fatter strings need wider nut slots. The intonation is going to be different. The action is going to need to be adjusted. Basically an entire setup, really. Wow. Yeah. So you can't just go from drop C to... You can't. And that's why I always ask when customers drop off guitars with me what tuning they use. Hmm. Because it's, you know, it's common enough that people use alternate tunings that I want to I want to make sure. I'll, I always ask what gauge string and what tuning. Because right. um, those are really, really important parts of a setup. I learned my lesson because I'd have... It, it happened a few times years ago... I set up a guitar for a few people, and they came back complaining it's not set up properly, and I picked it up, and it's in, like, you know, a really low tuning. And I said, mm. well, we didn't set it up for your tuning. Is this the tuning you're trying to use? Yeah. So, you know, you have to make sure you're setting your guitar up for the tuning you're using. The tuning you're using. I'm rhyming. You're a poet. Yeah. Let's take some questions, shall we? Sounds good. Letters. We get letters. We get stacks and stacks of letters. Hi, Eric and Mel. Congratulations on the move and striking out on your own. A few questions for the show. Number one, what's your take on multi-scale or fanned fret guitars? Number two, have you heard much about the Falcate? racing system for acoustic guitars. It's got quite a following in Australia and is very highly regarded. Would love to hear your opinion. Cheers, Jim. Thanks, Jim. I've looked up the Falcate racing system because I honestly, I got to be honest with you, I didn't know about it. 
Wow. Yeah, there's not much going on with it here. Uh, of course, I'm more of a vintage-minded guy, and I'm mostly working on vintage guitars. Um, not always, but... So, uh, I I really don't know about your newfangled Falcate bracing. But I had to look it up. Yeah, I had to look it up. It's actually... Um, so, in, Falcate means curved like a scythe. Oh, okay. And so, instead of an X brace, there's there's two... Like back to back parentheses. So it looks like a like an hourglass shape. Yeah, kind of. Um, and they never co- they never actually meet uh-huh. in the middle, but they both cross over the bridge plate. And uh, then there's other curved braces, and some of them, if not all of them, have carbon uh, uh, graphite, you know, reinforcement uh-huh. in the wood. It's it's an it looks really. I like the idea. It looks really interesting. I would love to hear one other than I heard I looked up some sound clips on YouTube which never really does anything any justice but uh Is it for tone or is it for d- more stability? Stability, tone, it's just a uh, another design. It's just another design huh. and uh I really, you know, I again, I don't have any experience with it. I haven't heard it firsthand, but I'd love to, and uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see more of it, because to me, it looks like a really brilliant idea, and it looks like a really good idea. So cool. if, if it is what it purports to be, um, uh, I think we'll hear more about it in the future. Neat. He also says, what's your take on multi-scale or fanned fret guitars? I think they look weird, and being a traditionalist... I just have no really no interest in it. Uh, can you explain what a fanned fret guitar is? Yeah, the the frets are spread out weird. Like there's more space on the bass side than there is on the treble side. Oh, have you ever? I'll have to show you a picture. So it looks like a fan. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah, it, it and is. And what's weird. the purpose of that? To look weird. <laughs> Pretty much. Oh. Well, thanks, Jim. Eric and Melissa, I heard your opinion about not using steel wool to polish frets. I have used steel wool up to this point. Can you please go in more in-depth about your Dremel tool procedure? What speed on the Dremel? What polishing wheel do you use? What do you use to protect the fretboard, tape, or the stumac metal things? Uh, do you use a file to groove the wheel? I use the... I used to cover the pickups with tape and steel wool was kind of satisfying because it was manual, but it did make a mess. Any in-depth insight would be much appreciated. Thanks for the great show, and we miss you here in Seattle. Zach H. Thank you, Zach. If if steel wool is working for you and you don't mind the mess, then just carry on, you know? Right. Here's part of the problem, and I used to use steel wool a lot years ago. But when I started winding my own pickups seven or eight years ago, however long it was, uh, I realized that uh, it was really going to be a problem because I would be, you know, you, when you're working with high-powered magnets to charge Alnico and you're working with things that I just can't have right. steel wool particles. particles hanging around in my pickups. Uh, and... Try as you might. I know there's techniques to keeping things neat and tidy, but, dude, those particles get everywhere. So if you're rewinding and repairing pickups, uh, man, I just, I couldn't couldn't handle it. I still will occasionally use steel wool. And what I do is I take what what I want to use steel wool on, I take it outside. Wow. And then I'll, I'll use it out there and then just completely blow it out before I bring it back in my shop. Well. Anyhow, to answer your questions, uh, what speed on the Dremel? Full speed ahead. I've got mine actually hooked up to a sewing machine pedal so it so I can... It's It works like a gas pedal. You depress it a little bit and it... Goes slow. Goes slow and yeah. more and it, it goes faster. So I floor the thing, though, to polish frets. What polishing wheel do you use? Um, it's, it's, it's a cloth wheel. It's not a, he's, he's asking, do I use a file to groove the wheel too? I think you've got the wrong idea. It's a cloth polishing wheel, just a tiny little, it's like a, the size of a quarter. I mean, it fits in a Dremel. 
Right. But it's cloth. So, um, and before you use this polish wheel, you're sanding your frets anyway, because, you know, if you're, if you're doing a fret level or whatever, or, you know, the, the polishing wheel is just the finishing touch. You have to sand them first. So, um, it's just a little cloth Dremel polishing wheel. It's hard to mess this up, you know, Yep. if you know it's cloth. Uh, Harbor Freight has them that like you can get like a six pack for, you know, three bucks. I mean, they're cheap. While you're there, I think they sell Dremel knockoffs for 10 bucks. Yeah. Uh, what do you use to protect the fretboard tape or the Stumac metal things? I use both. I use tape and then I also use the Stumac guard on top of that. Um, because, uh, the, the Stumac, the, the little metal Stumac guard is really helpful because it, you know, when you're using a Dremel with a high speed polishing wheel, it has a tendency to want to skate off the neck. Right. And if it does and goes around the side of the neck, then you've burned a hole in the finish. Right. So uh, I like to use those metal guards because not only does it only leave the fret exposed, but it keeps you from skating around the side of the neck. Right. So hope that answers all your questions, Zach. Hey, Eric, and she who must be obeyed. Did Oh. Did you write this question? No. What does that mean? I don't know. Uh, this is my third question. I asked about shipping hollow body instruments. Here is my question. Is deer antler suitable for a nut? Thanks, Mark. I've never used it. And so I uh, did what I always do when I don't know what I'm talking about. And I went to the, to the computer and, and Googled it. So, uh, it appears that some people have used it with some success. It has a different look. And it tends to be a little softer than bone. It's it's more porous is the thing. So, right. uh, But it does absolutely work. Will you like it? I don't know. And I've never tried it, so I can't really tell you how it sounds or what it's going to do for you. But uh, is it possible? Absolutely. Is it suitable? I think so. It's probably, you know, an upgrade from plastic. I'd rather right. have I'd rather have an antler nut than than plastic for sure. Well, if you try it, to give us some feedback. Yeah, let us we know. We want to know. Absolutely. Thanks, Mark. Hey, Eric. I hope you and your family are well and prospering in your new home. We are. Thank you. I have an idea and suggestion for an interview for the podcast. A discussion with a guitar tech for a major touring band of your choice about what he or she does. Mm-hmm. The routine for preparing for a show, the things that can do, can and do go wrong. The types of guitars that get taken out for the rough and tumble of the road, whether a lot of changes are for visual effect or truly support the sound, how amplifier selections comes into large stadium setting, etc. I know Jay could hook you up with someone who would fit the bill. That's my uh, former former employer, Jay Boone at Emerald City Guitars. You may have already done this, but if not, it could be interesting. All the best, and thanks to you and Melissa for the podcast. Cheers, Clyde. That's my buddy Clyde. He's. Uh, have you met Clyde? I know you have. Yeah, you've met him. Yeah. Uh, anyhow, uh, that's a great suggestion. And uh, I think that, I, you know, here's what, this is why I wanted to include it in the podcast, even though it's not really something that I'm going to, you know... It's it's not a, it's not a, a question. question per se. Right. But I wanted to put it out there. I'm sure that somewhere out there, one of you guys is a road tech. And if that's you, contact me, and uh, I'd love to interview you for the show. That sounds really interesting, because it's kind of a different beast than it's what you're It's a little different. Yeah, yeah, it is a little different, because... Um, it's not going to be, you know, they're not, they're not doing neck resets backstage there. Right. You know? Right. So, yeah, no, I'd love to, I'd love to interview a road tech. You, so if you're a road tech, reach out to me, go to ericdaw.com and uh, send me an email. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, Clyde. Thank you, Clyde. Do you offer roasted necks or bodies as an option on your custom guitars? What are the benefits in your opinion? How much would it add to your build price? Thanks, Craig. Thank you, Craig. I do uh, offer roasted necks, and uh, I think it adds a hundred bucks. Is all 
not a not a big deal. And uh, the benefits, in my opinion, well, it has a nice look. I think um, it kind of gives it a cool golden hue. Yeah. And uh, the other benefits are that uh, it it supposedly it it tempers the wood and makes it a little uh, more stable, less prone to warping. And, uh, uh, yeah, it just makes it more stable. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good option. I don't know. It does, it does really darken the maple, though. It really yeah. gives it a golden brown look. You've done a couple before, I've right? I've done several. Yeah, yeah, I've done a few. Absolutely. Cool. I don't roast them myself. I have them, I have them roasted. I got a roaster. <laughs> I got a guy, <laughs> a roasting guy. Can you do the marsh- marshmallows for me? Yeah, I can roast your marshmallow. Hundred bucks a marshmallow. Oh, yeah. A basic question for you, or is it? What exactly is inside a capacitor? What is going on inside there to facilitate a change in tone in a, in a guitar circuit? Nate. Nate, I love your question. It's so great. It's so great. It's such a great question, uh, and it's so great that we're going to use it as a cliffhanger. We're going to do an. Uh, we're going to do a. Uh, commercial we're gonna answer it when we come back from the commercial after this hey everyone it's melissa as many of you may know i make tooled leather guitar straps each strap is cut carved stamped dyed and finished by hand my straps are made to last a lifetime visit melcoleather.com to check out my designs or contact me with your custom order contact me through my etsy site or melcoleather at gmail.com Podcast listeners will receive 15% off their order on Etsy when they use code FRETFILES at checkout. MelcoLeather.com. M-E-L-C-O-Leather.com. Hey, this is Darren Jones from Jones & Fisher. Hello, this is Scott Marshall Watson calling. Just wanted to let everyone know how much I love my pinup guitar. Eric Dawes, pinup, custom guitars. Can't say enough good things about them. It's the closest thing that I've personally found to being anything like a, a real vintage 50s Telecaster-style guitar. My name is Jay Boone. I am an owner of two pinup guitars. Eric makes guitars that remind me of the, the real vintage-style guitars, and that's what appeals to me. It makes me personally a better player. A very vintage-sounding instrument. Very light and resonant. And I use it all the time. I play with it regularly. Uh, I love the feel of the neck. It's a fat, 50s-style neck. This is Joshua Joel here. This guitar makes all other guitars that I've owned personally feel like toys in comparison. I love the guitar. It's my uh, my main rig when I'm out on the road. I, I ended up buying two of them, and I, I use them both on a regular basis. I'll tell you what, if I have the money, I don't ten of them. Thank you, Eric. I appreciate the eagle eye for quality and, and uh, attention to detail. I'm a big fan. Way to go, Eric. Great job, Eric. I really appreciate it. Check one out for yourself. So Nate wants to know here. Nate asks... What exactly is inside a capacitor? What is going on in there to facilitate a change in tone in a guitar circuit? That's from Nate. Nate, I love your question. It's just, it's something that I've... See, I was just so fascinated with electronics before I understood what really was going on with resistors and capacitors. And You know, when I was a kid, I used to open up radios and look at all the parts. It seems like magic. It does seem like magic. And when you're a kid, you see the all the parts and you're like what is that a chiclet <laughs> what is that a tootsie roll yeah it looks like little bits of candy in there it's cool so what is it what's in there what's inside a capacitor is basically two conductors that never touch but they're very very close together and so certain frequencies are able to cross the barrier so like two wires in there so imagine like two sheets of aluminum foil that's too hard Okay, imagine... Okay, two sheets. Aluminum, okay, I've got Aluminum it. foil. Okay. Imagine two sheets of aluminum foil with a sheet of wax paper in between. Okay. That's so long. So they never touch. There's wax paper in between them. They're very close together. Okay. And then, you know, a conductor attached to each sheet of aluminum foil. And they're rolled, they're rolled up? Well, you can, yeah, that's in a capacitor. It would right. have to be rolled oh, up right, to fit right. inside the capacitor. I see. Yeah. Interesting. I know. And they say what a capacitor does. This is the actual definition of a capacitor is that it stores energy. 
which I don't fully understand, and yeah. nobody really does. You know, you have to remember, when we're talking about things like electronics... It's still a theory. It's still a theory. We, we don't fully understand. Especially me. I, I don't fully... <laughs> no. Uh, I feel like I have a pretty good grasp on it, but um, it is... There's, there's a magic element to it, for sure, in my opinion. So a capacitor is this little candy-looking thing with two wires sticking out. So mm -hmm. one of those wires is hooked up to one of the coiled-up conductors, and the other wire is hooked up to the other coiled-up conductor? Uh-huh, yes. Okay. And they never actually... They never touch. Touch. So, but, but they're, they're so close together sending... that these, you know, little, these electrons are able to leap, make the leap back wow. and forth. But it's only certain frequencies, right? And so depending on, and it's measured in farads. Okay. Like Faraday. Uh-huh. It's measured in farads. That's the unit of measurement. But a right. farad is huge, so they use microfarads and nanofarads and picofarads. So why didn't they just make a nanofarad? A, a because farad. when they discover, when when... Yeah. I'm not going to get into All right. it. All right. Sorry. Th that's just the unit of measurement that they set out okay. with at the beginning, and now we're down to picofarads and such. Interesting. Know, nanofarads. Uh, but, yeah, that's basically what a capacitor is, but it doesn't really tell you, or does it, what it's doing in a in a guitar. Yeah, how does it change the tone? It only lets, in in the case of a tone control in a guitar... It's only letting the high frequencies through, oh, yeah. and then it sends them to ground, so they don't actually make it to your amp. Only, only the bass frequencies are allowed to go carry on to your amp. So that makes sense to you? Yeah. Awesome. It kind of blows me, because that is so abstract to me. Like, how could anybody ever invent that? I know. It's really amazing, isn't it? Yeah. It's really awesome. Anyway, thanks for the awesome question, Nate. Thank you, Nate. Hi, Eric and Melissa. Thanks for the great podcast. You make my daily commute almost bearable. Sweet. I own a Martin D18 from around 2011. I am the only owner, and I have always kept the guitar in its case and always with the sound hole humidification during our dry Canadian winters. Mm -hmm. Recently, as I was holding the the guitar at an angle to the light, I noticed that there are hairline finish cracks running out from each corner of the bridge. A single crack runs from each corner for about one to one and a half inches, uh, and generally in the same direction as the grain. However, they do not appear to be following the grain per se and appear to be cracks in the finish only. As I do some research, it sounds like this is a common problem with modern Martins. Most of the theories I have read suggest that Martin leaves rounded corners when they route away the finish to attach the bridge, meaning that the bridge is overlapping the finish in the corners a little bit. The theory goes that the torquing of the bridge causes it to put pressure on the finish in these corners, causing a finish crack. Some people suggest that you should scribe around the bridge to make a break between the finish under the bridge and the surrounding finish. Although I have no trouble believing that the finish cracking is due to the twisting caused by the bridge, I have a hard time believing that the, that scribing around the bridge would help relieve that pressure in any meaningful way, especially now that the cracks have started. Plus, I don't want to go at the top of my guitar with a knife if I can help it. I don't blame you. Some su suggest sending guitars with this problem back to Martin for a refinish, but that does not sound very appealing to me either. Have you seen this before? Any thoughts on whether I should be doing anything to prevent the problem from getting worse? I'm not really worried about resale value because I don't intend to sell this guitar, but I don't want the problem getting worse either. Thanks very much. Shane from Ottawa, Canada. Thanks, Shane. Yeah, yeah. I'm, my mind is just going through all the different things to say here. Uh, okay, so it's it's a common thing, and it's... It's if it's truly just in the finish. Honestly, I wouldn't worry about it. A, a finish crack on a Martin is just going to happen. You know, they they paint those with lacquer, and lacquer cracks, and lacquer tends to crack where it's um, where it's under stress, especially. You know, so that's just a good spot for the lacquer cracks to start. In twenty years, that whole guitar is going to be full of lacquer cracks. 
Right. That's just that's that's just how it is. Uh, so that's my opinion. Anyway, I you know, he says um, that he's heard that you should scribe around the bridge. Well, you could. Once the cracks are there, it doesn't do anything to to stop that from from growing. And uh, you know, I I'll I scribe around the bridge with a with a blade when I'm preparing to remove the bridge. So it's not like it's you know it's not a terrible thing to do to your guitar. It, sometimes it's, it's necessary, but I've never thought about it in order to, to keep it f- uh, from cracking or you know in the lacquer. Right. Right. So anyhow, yeah, it's it's kind of a normal thing, and it's going to be. Uh, the, yeah, there's just nothing you can do about it, you know. And if you refinish it, it's just going to. You're just going to get lacquer cracks eventually again. You can't refinish it every time you get lacquer cracks. Right. I I just, I'm, I really, lacquer cracks just don't bother me on a guitar at all. Just not at all. In fact, you, you actually seek out lacquer cracks on your, your own guitars. Well, I, yeah, I intentionally crack the finishes on some of the guitars I make. Uh, I wouldn't worry about it, Shane. I really wouldn't worry about it. I would worry if if the wood cracks. That's a different thing, and uh, that's that is definitely actually a concern. But lacquer cracks, I, I'm just I I'm just not concerned about lacquer cracks, and I don't think that you should be either. But I understand some people are, and uh, I I just don't know what to tell you because it's kind of inevitable. Hmm. Well, thanks, Shane. That's my opinion. Thanks, Shane. Which state has the smallest drinks? He sent us a, a joke. Which state has the smallest drinks? What? Minnesota. Minnesota. Ah. Uh... Yeah. Okay, my real question is about replacing tuners. I have an SG that I am considering putting locking tuners on. The inquiry I have is, will this just be a simple swap old tuners for new ones? Or do I have to drill new holes? Will there be any other considerations to take when doing this part swap? Cheers, Corey. Hi, Corey. Thanks for the joke. Yeah, remember last time I didn't have a joke? I know. Sorry. (laughs) Uh, The answer to your question is, it depends. Which is, that's my favorite answer. Yeah. It really does depend. You can certainly buy exact replacement tuners that are identical to the tuners that you have on your guitar, except that they're locking. So it is possible. It's also possible to buy ones that you'll have to redrill new mounting holes. It's possible that you might have to ream the actual uh, hole in the headstock larger so mm-hmm. that the tuner fits through the hole. So it really depends on, uh, he, he didn't mention what tuners he has. It, it's just an SG, but they come with varying tuners. Right. So uh, it depends on what tuners you have and what tuners you buy. So do your research. If you just want it to be a simple swap, it can be done, but you have to make sure you're getting the right ones. Hmm. Thanks, Corey. You recently discussed guitar wall hangers and the possibility of the foam or rubber-type material having adverse reaction to the guitar finish. I have made a guitar stand where the guitar rests on leather. Does leather behave nicely with guitar finishes? Thanks. And remember, be careful out there. Crash. Thanks, Crash. Uh, In my experience, it does. Leather does play well with... with, uh uh, guitar finishes from, from what I've seen. So, um, but I've never had a stand with leather and, uh, I don't know for certain. So I can't really tell you with absolute certainty that the leather will play nice with the finish over time. But, uh, leather does have dyes in it that depending on, you know, if it's just a natural undyed veg tan leather, it's probably going to be fine. But if if it's you know dyed black or something like that, it is possible for those dyes to leach out yeah. into your finish, especially if it's a lacquer finish. If it's poly, if it's a polyurethane finish, that that stuff's impervious. It 
nothing's gonna. Well, <laughs> unless uh, unless you have a guitar stand made out of uh, paint stripper, <laughs> it's uh, it's probably gonna be fine. I just I, I just invented that uh, guitar stand. Yeah, made oh, from yeah. paint stripper. Yeah, they're going on sale. You soon. wouldn't think that it'd be a, a good idea, but yeah. Anyway, Crash, thanks for your question. That does it for this episode of the Fret Files podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for participating. And uh, I really appreciate everybody out there. And uh, if you need guitar help, I'm your guy. Let me know. Go to ericdaw.com. Participate in the show. Click the contact link and send me a question or comment there. Or you can call or text 757-774-8482. Say goodbye, Melissa. Don't sweat the lacquer cracks. That's right. That's words of wisdom from my wife. See you later, everybody. 